We're in Revelation chapter 15 this morning. We're going to go through chapter 16, verse 2. But chapter 15, it introduces the details of the final judgments that are to be poured out by seven angels. In chapter 14, uh, at the end of the chapter, it spoke of the final battle, the Armageddon battle, where Jesus reaps the earth, those against him and those for him. But in chapter 15, we have seven angels who proclaim God's complete wrath. And along with that, there's a singing multitude that are worshiping God. So we have wrath and worship coming forth simultaneously from this earth. Briefly, the judgment schedule as we go through the book of Revelation. First, we had seven seals. Seven seals of judgment, and they were bad enough. And then you had seven trumpets, and they were more intense than the seals. And now we have, are going to look at the seven bowls that are to be poured out, which will exhaust God's judgment upon sinful man thus ending the great tribulation. And we will hear words in the beginning of chapter uh, 15, great and marvelous, and they're spoken about God's wrath. Great and marvelous because they usher in the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. I must confess, I do not consider the rewards of heaven or the great hope of reigning with Christ in the thousand-year reign, I don't consider it as much as I should. I was reading where there was one Bible scholar, and he said he meditated on heaven a half hour every day. I meditate on heaven half hour every month, maybe. <laughs> it's just not in my makeup to meditate upon heaven is, first of all, it's beyond my uh, understanding. But we should look forward to our great reward. The thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, that would be more than enough reason to serve Christ. Hey, reign with Him a thousand years? I'll trade in this lifetime. But on top of the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand-year reign, we have heaven that awaits us. So glorious, so wonderful, that it defies description. Try to, try to explain heaven to someone sometime. You know, the world has us sitting on little clouds playing harps and things, but I think it's a little deeper now. I'm a here and now type Christian. Too much so, I think. I'm trying to love, trying to follow, trying to obey my Lord, knowing that it's the best possible thing that I can do in this life. It will give my life meaning to be obedient to my Lord. So I challenge you this coming week, in your quiet time, in your devotions, 
Consider, ponder what a great future you have as a believer. A glorious future. And it will cure depression. <laughs> if we consider what is awaiting us, it'll, it'll knock the lumps off of today. You know what I'm saying? It'll make today tolerable. But anyway, but each and every believer should understand we are not appointed to God's wrath, such as in the Great Tribulation, which I happen to think is very near which makes the rapture of the church extremely near. The rapture of the church, by the way, is not some pie-in-the-sky fantasy. It's God's promise to believers. Just as the Great Tribulation is a judgment promise to the sinful, rebellious world that we live in. And I say all of this to announce the next series of seven bowls of judgment for they're the most severe judgments that will ever come upon this earth. Now, understand that in Revelation it is not written in perfect chronological order. The end of chapter 14 we have the winepress of God, God's judgment, Armageddon, and then chapter 15 that we're going to look at introduces the details, the methods of that judgment. The ways that God will pour out His wrath come about in chapters 16 through 18. And then you have the rest of the book being wrapped up, the history of man. So let's jump in, Revelation chapter 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like the sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. And after these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven, and it was open. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. Then the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. John, he sees another sign, and he says this sign is great and marvelous. We don't usually associate marvelous with anything negative. 
But John says, great and marvelous because this is the final seven judgments upon man. The complete, thorough judgment of God's wrath upon this world. It would be very difficult for us as believers to understand God's wrath if it were not for the cross of Jesus. Jesus' suffering, his shame, his agony on the cross is an example of God's wrath being poured out upon his own son. Poured out on Jesus for your and my salvation. Jesus suffered greatly. Not simply was he executed, but he suffered greatly. Suffered beatings, a crown of thorns, the humiliation, the mockings. People were spitting upon him. He even separated separation from his father, saying, Father, why have you forsaken me? All this suffering, this wrath of God being poured out on his son for us, for those who accept Jesus Christ as our propitiation, we escape God's wrath towards sin and it's placed upon Jesus. So, therefore, consequently, to reject Christ is to accept God's wrath. And great and marvelous is that wrath. God the Father, He plainly tells mankind, He says, My wrath is coming. Coming upon those who reject my Son. In Revelation, the book of Revelation, it pulls no punches. It's a vivid description of an angry God towards sinful man. That's what it's about. And in verse 2, John sees something and he says it's like a sea of glass. In chapter 4, we had uh, what was described as a crystal sea representing the holiness of God. Now you have a sea mixed or mingled with fire symbolizing the holiness of God and His holy, pure judgment, the fire. Chapter 15, when you read this short little chapter, chapter it has many references to the book of Exodus. If you want to do some cross-references, you have plagues, you got Moses, you got tabernacle, you got a cloud of God's glory. Uh, and then in chapter 15, it's also an exodus of God's people from this very sinful world. The tribulation saints that are on this sea of glass, they have harps, musical instruments of God, and many 
believe that standing on this sea of glass is a reference to standing on God's word. And I like that. I can, I can get my mind around that a little bit. But these saints that are on the sea of glass, they're singing. They're singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. One song uniting grace and the law. You want to reconcile grace and law? Sing the song. <laughs> now we have the lyrics of this song, but not the tune. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. And then there isn't an, a, a sha-na-na. <laughs> no doodahs either, you know. There, there's no lyrics in there that are not understood. They're lyrics to God. But we hear in this song, you and your being repeated seven times. So this is a personal song of the martyred saints, victorious saints that are caught up in worshiping a personal God. I don't know who first said it or even, uh, you know, if anyone could be recognized as first saying it. But if you do not enjoy worshiping, singing praises to God, you're going to be out of place in heaven because there's going to be a lot of worship going on in heaven. It's sort of like a man that was in a car accident. In this accident, he broke both hands and both wrists. And the surgeon is about to take him into surgery and the man asks the doctor, he says, will I be able to play the guitar when you take off these casts? The doctor replied, I don't see why not. And he said, good, I could never play before. <laughs> That's how it is. These saints have harps and they're playing them. That gives hope to a non-musical person like myself. I can't even clap on beat, you know. I, that gives me hope. After the time of worship, John sees seven angels, and they're coming out of the temple, the tabernacle of testimony, another reference to Exodus, the holy intersection of the temple, and these angels are clothed in pure white linen, with their chests wrapped in golden bands. And these angels, they're bearing the last seven plagues that will be poured out upon mankind. Now, angels, messengers, and servants of God, and they're bringing His wrath. And they're given seven bowls full of God's wrath. Bowls are poured out much more easily than vials. Some of your tr old translations may say vials, but it, it's a really a little flat, almost like cereal bowl, more like a saucer than a vial. When I was a little guy, when I was a child, I remember I had an uncle who would pour his coffee into his saucer. You ever seen anybody do that? <laughs> and he would do this to cool it down, and then he would pick up the saucer and drink his coffee from the saucer. 
I know, good family. But anyway, here at Calvary Chapel, we serve it in coffee cups. And we have a lid nearby in case you feel like you're going to be a little sloppy. <laughs> so, But can you imagine if we serve coffee in little bowls? Can you say slosh, slosh? <laughs> Back to preaching. Now. Anyway, go. Got a little side right there. But John, he notes the temple is full of smoke. Smoke from the glory of God's power. And no one can enter the temple. They're probably afraid to try and enter the temple until the seven plagues of God are completed. This indicates that no one enters in to the temple while God's pouring out His wrath. It indicates God's judgments are irreversible. They will not be changed. No more delays, no more turning back, no more second chances. The final judgment is coming. That's the bowls. Then in chapter 16, and we're only going to look at two verses, I only want to look at the first bowl. It's, it's awesome enough in itself. Chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. I'll read it. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast, those who had worshipped his image, speaking of the beast. Verse 1, this loud voice which John recognizes is none other than God Himself. What do you think that voice sounded like? We're told in the New Testament a voice thundered like from heaven. It wasn't a high-pitched feminine type voice, I'm sure of that. It was more like how God speaks to me. Don. <laughs> That's how God talks to me. <laughs> Usually with a little condemnation there, you know, <laughs> knowing I'm not. But what would it be like to hear the voice of God? John is so blessed, he gets to hear the voice of God, God himself. But God, he calls out to these seven angels, and he tells them, go pour out my bowls of wrath on the earth. All these plagues being poured out are punishment from God and they're punishment for a reason. Because God still desires at this time for men to turn and repent. Because He knows that at, when these bowls are all poured out, that's it. No more opportunity to turn and repent. The great and final judgment is very near. Eternal damnation is a breath away where God will say, that's it, I'm through dealing with man. No longer giving man an opportunity to turn and repent. That, my friend, is why repentance is good. 
You do not, and you hear me say this all the time, we do not have to continue in our sinful ways. We are allowed to turn, repent, and change. Thank you, Lord, for that blessing. But we can understand a little bit then why James in his little epistle says, count it all joy when trials come upon you. Trials are an indicator that God is not through with you or me. And that's good. Silence or non-activity from God in my life is far more frightening than trials. I think we each and every one enjoy, appreciate, you might say, God's long-suffering in our lives. I know I do. That's probably the one of the greatest attributes of God to me that he is so long, <clears throat> excuse me, long suffering. And isn't it the hope of each and every one here that those we love that are not believers, isn't it our hope that they will turn, repent and become a believer? Of course it is. We even become afraid for them. You ever become afraid for someone that you know that's not a believer? Because we understand that there is no guarantee for those whom we love that they will survive the great tribulation, much less go through the tribulation without receiving the mark of the beast. How much better to trust and believe in Christ before the great tribulation, before the time of God's wrath. I can only say, be diligent, my Christian friends, to pray earnestly for the unsaved loved ones you know. Make it a point to pray for them constantly. Then verse 2. This first angel, he pours out his bowl upon the earth. And I want you to listen to the description of this bowl or this plague. A foul, loathsome sore came upon those who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped him, again, meaning the beast. This plague proclaims, or appears to proclaim, all right? You who identify with the beast, now you suffer with the beast. A foul and loathsome sore. Something that is offensive to our senses. Foul is usually associated with a bad odor or smell. Much as I enjoy my little farm, we had a dilemma about two to three weeks ago that lasted about two to three weeks. For about two weeks, we have had a foul odor coming up through our heating vents. Lovely old house, foul odors. Now, we began the search 
And we began a diligent search for the closets, the cabinets, the fireplaces. Nothing. No dead critter anywhere. <laughs> now, out on the farm, you try to keep varmints to a minimum. And a varmint is simply any little critter like mice, rats, ground squirrels, moles, gophers, etc., who all desire to take up residence in your house or under your house. To combat this, they sell critter poison, lovely little chunks of stuff, and periodically I will throw this up under the house because I don't want anything living up under there. <laughs> All you got to do is make sure you keep it away from your pets, right? Well, there's one serious side effect to throwing this poison up under your house. Whatever eats it dies. And if they don't eat a lot of it, they begin to stink. To emit a foul odor. So these past two weeks, I have crawled up under our house flashlight in one hand, bucket in the other, and I'm there to gather, gather up whatever is stinking. And it was an obvious stink. Now, to get me to crawl up under our house is a chore in itself, because I'm sort of claustrophobic. I don't like cramped, dirty little spaces. Did I say I don't like? Let me put it to I hate them. <laughs> dark, dirty little spaces. And it's not a good feeling to know that something ugly may await you around the next turn. So, overcoming my fears, I crawl up under the house. I can't find anything. So what do I do? I throw out more poison. But the foul linger on oh, that foul smell continues to permeate our house. Then Lori would come home. She says, boy, does this house stink. Thank you, dear. <laughs> I'm doing everything I know to do. I've crawled under this thing. I can't find anything. She says, I think it stinks more in the living room than the kitchen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Now, if you've ever smelled a dead mouse, you recognize that odor immediately. Therefore, the next day, I'm tearing apart our heating and air conditioning unit. Still no critter. All I can tell you is eventually the smell subsided. I never found the little guy. <laughs> now, there is a good side to this story. Our house, our home, has been thoroughly inspected. And maybe you, you've traveled to a poor, poor country. In many poor countries, one of the first things you notice are the smells, the odors. Smells that are coming forth from sewage or whatever other things that are offensive. And you notice those smells. Now, I have said all this to take you to this. <laughs> Can you imagine now 
millions upon millions of people walking around who are foul-smelling. That's what this plague is. They have foul and loathsome sores on them. That's going to be pretty bad. These sores are not only foul-smelling, they're repulsive to look upon. The first plague identifies those that have taken the mark of the beast. And notice, you can smell them before you see them. Oh, here comes somebody that's got a loathsome sore and you'll just be repulsed by it. To me, this indicates how repulsive the mark of the beast is to God, that he makes them repulsive to look upon, loathsome and foul-smelling. I think that's a good place to end this sermon on that fair note. But we have good news. As believers, as we see the world's attitude changing towards us as believers, in many places of the world, Christians are hated. We're looked upon as the, the troublemakers of society. But notice it's the Christians that are spared this reprehensible plague. We don't go through it. And for that I say thank you, Lord. Amen. The tribulation is not for us, God's saints. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, first of all, I thank you for sparing us. Lord, I thank you for pouring out your wrath upon Jesus to save us, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that we're not appointed to your wrath during the tribulation time. Thank you, Lord, for providing for us, for saving us, for giving us a glorious hope, a great future. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking the wrath of your Father and saving us. And we will thank you throughout eternity for that, Lord. So we thank you here and now. Receive our closing song of worship. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.